Dr. George Barna is with me once again today here on The Bottom Line. There's a brand new George Barna book out. And whenever you see a George Barna book is out, you have to buy it. You just absolutely have to buy it. One of these days, we're going to get a George Barna book that is all about uh, successful bass playing tips and my favorite pentatonic scales. Instead, today, we're going to talk about raising spiritual champions, which I guess is as important, nurturing your child's heart, mind, and soul. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. My favorite uh, researching bass player, Dr. George Barna, welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. Roger, always good to be with you. And if I did write that book about bass playing tips, yeah, it would it would be a short book. Let me just... <laughs> you know, I toward that end. I bought a book. This we'll have a little bass player geek time here, but it does have a spiritual significance. Dave Hope of Kansas became an Episcopal priest, and he wrote a book on the Lord's Prayer. And he wrote, he's written some, several books, and so I got all excited. I saw this thing on Amazon. I'm like, I'm going to read this book. It's about you know the Eucharist or whatever. And so I paid my 25 bucks. I got it. It's that thick. <laughs> it looks like a homily. <laughs> I thought, well, at least I have it. You know, that that that's kind of nice. But there aren't too many bass playing theologian researching types. So you really are in a class by yourself, Dr. George Barna. Well, no, no, no. Abraham Laboriel. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, then there's that. Then yeah, there's that. Yeah. He is in a class by himself. And yeah. I, I'd like to be in his class. <laughs> well, I'd like to be in his class just to pick up his chops. I mean, that would yeah, be okay. wonderful or or just his groove. I mean, but, you know, the guys like him, John Patitucci, you want to talk about the joy of the Lord exuding through, you know, playing through these guys. It's just it's just amazing. Um, if I had read the title Raising Spiritual Champions coming out 20 years ago, I would have thought something totally different than what you have written about right here, Nurturing Your Child's Heart, Mind, and Soul. There's a link for this brand new book up at thebottomlineshow.com. What has changed, Dr. George Barna, from people who said, oh yeah, I know how to raise kids. I know what it's like to nurture a child's heart, mind, and soul. We, we can have spiritual champions. It's really not that difficult. Well, it has become a lot more difficult, hasn't it? Well, it really has. I mean, there, there are at least three different things that have changed or three things that have changed. They're very different now than they were then. Uh, certainly one is the culture. It's a lot harder to raise a spiritual champion. If you're talking about somebody who knows, loves, and serves Jesus with all their heart, mind, strength, and soul, if you're just talking about somebody who's feeling something and, you know, calls it spirituality and pursues that, well, okay. I mean, there's a lot of that in our culture today, but really being devoted to being a, a disciple of Jesus, that's very difficult in our culture. The culture suppresses that, is not interested in that. The second big change, of course, has been with parents. Parents still love their kids, just like they did 20 years ago, but their perspectives on what it means to raise a champion is very different. 20, 30, 40 years ago, faith was a critical dimension in that process. Today, that's not really the case. As we study this, and I talk about this in the book, what are parents trying to accomplish with their children today? And there are all kinds of things that they're dead set on seeing emerge, but one of them is not uh, a real intentional, strategic, spiritual formation process. Mm. And of course, the third thing that's different is churches, where years ago, churches understood that it's important that we tend to the needs of children because they're the spiritual leaders of tomorrow. Today, most churches don't have that mentality. It's all about what we do with adults, and there's very little that we do, not only with children, but even with adults, 
that relates to intentional worldview development. So you put all those things together, and what we've got is a generation of children right now that's starting with a deficit position spiritually. And what I'm trying to do in the book is to shake us up and wake us up a little bit and say, hey, don't lose sight of the fact that as parents, the single most important thing you're ever going to do is raise your children. And the only way that we can define success in that venture is if you're committed to and have a plan for helping your children become devoted disciples of Jesus. Dr. George Barna is my guest today here on The Bottom Line, and he's the author of a brand called Raising Spiritual Champions, Nurturing Your Child's Heart, Mind, and Soul. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. George, the thing that surprised me about this book when I first got a hold of it was looking at the way you begin the book, you begin with something that is so, I think, painfully obvious to our generation that may not be as important. Well, apparently your statistics indicate that it isn't to a younger generation. And that is quite frankly, the importance of children. I mean, the, the fact I'm not talking about just the economic realities. If we don't have enough kids, there won't be enough workers to support us in our old age. If we don't have enough kids coming to church, then the churches are all going to die off. But there really has been a paradigm shift between, let's say, baby boomer Generation X, where Gen X really kind of said, wow, we were hurt and damaged by our parents divorcing. So we're going to kind of overprotect and bubble wrap our kids. The millennial Gen Z view of children in the culture is really different isn't it? it it really is their view of pretty much everything is very different the purpose of life the meaning of life the value of life and and we could start there really in, in addressing your question directly this is a generation that has the lowest sense of the value of human life mm. any generation that yet has been measured and so that I think goes a long way toward helping us understand why they're not as devoted to investing in the lives of their children in the same way that previous generations did. Again, they love their kids, right. they love them differently, and they are, are moving toward very different kinds of outcomes for their children. They want them to succeed academically. They want them to succeed athletically. They want them to be healthy. They want them to be happy. They want to set them up to make a lot of money. Uh, they want to set them up to feel secure and safe. But that whole spiritual dimension is missing in the minds and hearts of this generation of parents. Now, one of the reasons why that's happening is because, first of all, only 2% of today's parents of kids under the age of 13 have a biblical worldview. Incredible. Wow. Their, their worldview is very different, and spirituality is not something that has shaped it, is going to shape it, or is going to take a lead role in their shaping of the worldview of their children. So it's a, it's a very different approach, and that affects their view of personal responsibility for who their children become. Their perspective more so is, you know, I, I'm going to let my kids figure it out. I had to figure it out. And mm -hmm. so I'm going to let them do the same thing. Is it possible, uh, George Barna, for, I mean, obviously course correction is in fact possible, but is it possible for us as grandparents who are watching on the sideline saying, wait, I raised you differently. 
I mean, I raised you differently than what we're seeing in the culture right now. Did not think the culture would be such a strong pull for you. I mean, has it been a radical paradigm shift? Can you walk us back through, I know some of your uh, worldview inventory, American worldview inventory studies that you've done at Arizona Christian University indicate that the people who profess belief in God, faith in Christ versus the people who actually live it out, it, it, there's a huge drop-off. But something tells me that from baby boomer, greatest generation, baby boomer, Gen X to millennial, that slope has slipped uh, precipitously, I guess. And and it, it's a lot worse than we thought it was to start. Not that we were, you know, 80% of baby boomers were all Bible-believing Christians, and now it's down to 2% of millennials and Gen Z. It, it hasn't been that big of a drop-off, has it? Well, no. And I think part of the challenge we have is that when we look back historically, we tend to think things were a lot better than they were. And so the truth of the matter is, yeah, biblical worldview has dropped by about 67% in the last 25 years. Hmm. But it was never that strong to start with. I mean, 25 years ago, it was only 12% of the total adult population. When we look at boomers today, we're only talking about 8% of boomers who have a biblical worldview. So it's not ideal there. But when you compare that to the 2% among the parents, the children boomers, who are now raising our youngest generation, uh, you know, that I mean, there's there's been a drop down from the 8% among boomers down to the 2% of today's parents. So yeah, it keeps dropping, it keeps dropping. How much lower can it go? Well, my fear is that we could lose it all together. And some people say that would never happen. Well, it probably wouldn't, but the numbers would get so low, it'd be tragic. We know, for instance, among kids under the age of 13 today, less than one half of 1% currently have a biblical worldview. Mm. That's when a person's worldview is formed, under the age of 13. Right. We know with our current teenagers, less than one half of 1%. So yeah, I mean, we are in danger of losing the gravitas, the momentum, the foundation that we need to see biblical worldview continue with any kind of real impact and influence in America. You know, I think the of uh, the the passage from the Great Commission, go into all the world and preach the gospel and baptize those new believers in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It seems like nowadays it's go into your kid's bedroom and preach the gospel, because that's where the real mission field is. Dr. George Barna is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called Raising Spiritual Champions, Nurturing Your Child's Heart, Mind, and Soul. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. So what exactly does disciple-making entail? We're going to get into some of the principles of that. Coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Dr. George Barna is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Raising Spiritual Champions is the brand new book. And this is a tough one. I, 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 it's a good one. It's a healthy one. It's a book that parents need to read. It's a book that grandparents need to read. Because if we don't, there's a generation literally at stake. And if we, we were talking during the break about uh, spiritual champions of our ongoing love of the electric bass and um, Abraham Laboriel being kind of a, a hero for both you and me, and I asked George during the, the break, I said, well, okay, he's a great player and he's influenced a lot of folks, but I'm also interested in what's your family life like, you know, in terms of uh, that. And I know Abe Laboreal Jr. is an amazing drummer, but also a pretty strong believer from what I understand. I mean, that acorn didn't fall too far from the tree, both spiritually as well as vocationally. Yeah, true. And, you know, of course, uh, Abe Jr. plays in Paul McCartney's band. Mm. 
So, you know, one of my ongoing prayers is that Abe Jr. will have opportunities to witness to McCartney and the other guys in that band, and that that will have ramifications for the kingdom going forward. You know, you never know what will happen. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's an exciting opportunity. It's encouraging. And I'm sure Abe would resonate with everything that's in this book, Raising Spiritual Champions, because I mean, let's face it. I mean, the proof is in the pudding. We, we, our report card as adults, of course, is once we get older as parents is what kind of, you know, we, we planted seeds, we sowed them, we watered them, we let God take care of the increase. And and we want to make sure that our kids, you know, are are walking in the ways of the Lord. But when we talk about disciple making, there's a there's an intentionality. And George, I get the sense that maybe those of us in Gen X and baby boom and possibly even older millennials might have been more likely to let the church kind of co-opt that, let the culture kind of co-opt that and place a lot of faith and trust in an institution. So you ask the question, okay, disciple making, yes, but why disciple children? How do you answer that when there are so many different opportunities for kids to be discipled, and yet we're seeing such a lousy return on our investment. Well, first thing we've got to understand is that worldview development in America right now is happening by default. Mm. There's really very little intentionality, particularly with children. When we look at, well, who's being discipled in some kind of intentional way, typically it's adults. There's very little going on with children. And when we measure that discipleship activity among adults, we see it has very little impact. Why is that? Because your worldview is the foundation of discipleship. You know, who whoever you're going to follow, whether it's going to be Jesus, Buddha, Gautama, I mean, you know, choose, choose your person, your, your, your leader. Um, it happens when you're young, your worldview is formed by the age of 13, at least in American society. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we're not really paying attention to kids. And yet, when we look at what's going on with disciple-making among children, most parents are assuming the church will do it. Most churches are assuming the parents will do it. Neither of them, in reality, is doing it. Who's doing it? The arts and entertainment media. They see an opening, they see a vacuum, and they're all too willing to fill it. And they're doing so quite effectively which is why when we look at the worldview of most Americans, and especially children, syncretism emerges. Because with all the different messages that the media are sending to them about, here's something for you to believe, oh, here's a competing idea. If you didn't like that one, kids are eating it up. Dr. George Barna's new book is recommended reading for parents and especially for us grandparents, because we know that we're going to have that extra influence in the lives of our grandkids. Uh, Raising Spiritual Champions is the new book. Nurturing Your Child's Heart, Mind, and Soul is the subtitle. It's up at thebottomlineshow.com. And when we talk about the making of a disciple, I, I love the fact, George, that you've devoted a good portion of the book, not all of it, but a good portion of it, to basically just explaining to us what does it mean to make disciples? Because I, I'm sure there are a lot of people, it's kind of like when I hear someone say, oh, I love my church because my pastor preaches the gospel. And invariably, my first question is, okay, how do you define the gospel? And they'll give you that kind of confused look like, well, we teach the Bible. Okay, but what is the gospel? What is the good news? And it's amazing how many people will just say, because my pastor teaches, you know, expositionally through you know, verse by verse through the Old Testament or whatever it is, that we're preaching the gospel, rather than saying, wait a minute, do you even know what the gospel 
this. So I know that there are a lot of people who hear go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples of every tribe and tongue and say, yeah, make disciples. That means what? Build church membership? What, what, thank you for at least putting down what you call the four practices of a disciple. Can you walk us through these? I mean, we're going to have to continue this on our next conversation, but help us understand I mean, the, the, the first foundation of disciple making is so basic, and yet we do have to be this obvious about it, don't we? Uh, well, I think so. And I spent a lot of time going through all the popular books on on Christian parenting mm-hmm. and Christian disciple making to try to figure out what is it that you know people are being told. And when it comes to parenting, parents aren't getting the goods, in my estimation. Right. Uh, you know, so yeah, my, my uh, as I looked at parents, Christian parents who are effective at raising their kids to be disciple of Jesus, one of the things I noted is, you know what, they got real solid in their heads from the very beginning. My job is to make my child into a disciple of Jesus. That's a commitment, a lifelong commitment I'm going to make. And so it starts with my identity. You know, Jesus entrusted this child to me. It's not really my child. It's his. It's a child of God. And I'm here to help the Lord raise that person to know him, love him, and serve him with all their heart, mind, strength, and soul. And so my identity as a parent is I'm a disciple maker. And the more that I embrace that, the better off I'm going to be. Now, right off the bat, what I discovered is that's a problem for most Christian parents who, even if they say, okay, I'm going to be a disciple maker, and then you ask them, great, what is a disciple? Just like you're asking people, what's the gospel? I was out there with the surveys asking, asking people, what do you think a disciple of Jesus is? And, you know, I heard a good person, somebody who attends church regularly, right, right. who owns a Bible, you know, all of this kind of stuff. But I never heard the six things that Jesus talked about of this is when you will be my disciple. There are six times in the New Testament where he talked about that. You know, and in the book, I go through that because I don't want to leave anything to chance here. It's like, maybe you know it, probably you don't. And and in the parenting books and many of the discipleship books, I never saw these six phrases referred to. You know, so in John 8, where Jesus talks about, you'll be my disciple when you obey my teachings. John 13, where he talked about, you'll be my disciple when you love other disciples and people are blown away by how much you love them. Uh, In John 15, where he talked about, you'll be my disciple when you produce a lot of spiritual fruit. Then in Luke 14, he's got three things where he says, you cannot be my disciple unless. And then he talks about, you know, you've got to love God so much that all the people you think you love, it seems like you hate them in comparison to mm. how much you love God. Uh, then he goes on and says, you know, when you uh, pick up your cross and follow me, which in Roman society meant you're going to submit fully to my authority. And then a little bit later in that same chapter, he talked about you're going to surrender everything to pursue my agenda with mm. all the resources I've given to you. You know, so that's the kind of commitment that a parent has to make right out of the box, building that relationship with God personally so that their kids can see it and be part of it, and then making every commitment that they make in life, everything they're doing, it's being done for God. 
Boy, that is powerful, especially against the backdrop of the culture that we live in right now, where where your your faith journey is left to chance. We'll we'll expose our kids to Christianity, but we don't want to force our religion on them. And at the same time, your parents are also being told, and you know what, you may not want to go too quickly in on identifying their gender. You know, I mean, let's not assign it to them at birth. Let's let's see what happens and see what develops. That, that the fact that we even had that conversation, and you and I both know people who are scratching their heads saying. Boy, what, what is the truth in that regard? This idea of making a life commitment, a life-defining commitment to Jesus Christ and those six different attributes that you mentioned, Dr. George Barna, are huge uh, for parents to be intentional about because we can't assume anymore that people just know that, that people know scripture well enough, that it's being taught from the pulpit. And that's why this book, Raising Spiritual Champions, Nurturing Your Child's Heart, Mind, and Soul, is so essential. We've got 60 seconds left in this conversation here, Dr. George Barna. Talk about why... Um, the the kid factor now is more important than it's ever really been in our culture with regard to faith and discipleship. Look, look at what's happening to America. Look at where our culture is going. People are up in arms and say, oh, what are we going to do about this? Well, you can vote for certain people. You can propose particular policies, but all those are stopgap measures. The way you turn the culture around is by having people who have the mind of Christ and are willing to live out those beliefs, yeah. which is what a disciple does. But the only way that happens is if you have a biblical worldview that gets shaped before the age of 13. So we got to be putting that foundation in place and then nourishing and nurturing that over the course of time. That's the way that we turn around the culture. It won't happen overnight. It's a 40 to 60 year process. But for the last 40 to 60 years, we've been frittering away everything that our ancestors had given us. It's the only way really to turn the country around. A brand new book by Dr. George Barna is up at thebottomlineshow.com, Raising Spiritual Champions, Nurturing Your Child's Heart, Mind, and Soul. And I encourage you to check out that link. And of course, we'll be giving away a couple copies of that book. Coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Well, welcome back to this special edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, Super Tuesday edition of the program. And if you are wondering how America is going to vote, look no further than Millennials and Generation Z. Millennials are, let's see, anyone born 1982 and up. So there are some millennials actually who are in their 40s. Um, but Generation Z is typically thought of as the, the, the Zoomers, uh, the people who are online a lot. They're digital natives. 
Um, they were born, I mean, they've always had the internet, they've always had, you know, podcasting and stuff like that. Uh, anywhere from ages 12 to 25. So half of Generation Z are eligible to vote. And if you want to know how they're going to vote, people say, well, if people, you know, they'll vote their values, we'll be, we'll be fine. Well, a brand new book from Dr. George Barner that we're discussing today here on The Bottom Line talks about the fact that there are kids in this culture right now who are growing up completely empty vapid even in christian homes and he's written a book called raising spiritual champions nurturing your child's heart mind and soul that we're discussing today here on the program uh, to help you as a parent or even for grandparents who are either in the child rearing mode i know a lot of grand six million i think nationwide grandparents are the primary caregiver if not the sole custodian of their grandchildren and are raising them as their kids um, with that many adults speaking into these many kids who are they, they just want to know what their god-given identity is they, they want to know what the priorities in life are most kids if you talk to death row inmates they'll say the reason i got into crime is no one really explained to me what the boundaries are what the rules really are so i didn't think they applied to me so many young people are living for right now how many people are changing their gender getting surgeries and pumping hormones of the opposite sex into their body, thinking that they have that kind of fluidity when they don't have an eternal perspective on life. They don't know who God is. And so they're like, well, if I get to be in charge of all my own stuff, then sure, I could change my gender. Why the heck not? And Dr. Barna and his research, research team have outlined these different areas to where understanding your child will be an adult in terms of the way their values are set by the time they hit 13. Core beliefs, morals, values, all that. So this book will be a big help. We've got two copies to give away. So for Tuesday, two copies. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, uh, during my conversation with Dr. George Barna, uh, we're at the midpoint of that. We're discussing his brand new book called Raising Spiritual Champions, Nurturing Your Child's Heart, Mind, and Soul. The link for the book is up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we have not one but two copies of this book we're giving away today here on Super Tuesday. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Remember, millennials and Generation Z are going to determine the outcome of this next election. So understanding how they think and helping them get better clarity on their values is essential. More of this conversation with Dr. George Barna in just a moment as the bottom line continues. Stephanie Cover of Cover Law fights for your rights inside and outside the courtroom. As an experienced trial attorney, Stephanie knows that litigating inside a courtroom often costs you more in terms of money, stress, and time. That's why, for the client's sake, she will work hard to settle without the need for a costly trial. Stephanie consistently led her firm in settled cases each month. Because Stephanie worked for insurance companies for decades, she knows how to talk to them. Her knowledge of the insurance process means she's highly qualified and even enjoys talking to insurance adjusters and attorneys on your behalf. Stephanie challenges them with tough questions and holds them accountable for your benefit. When you're in an accident, you want an attorney that will protect your rights and get you the settlement you deserve. Call the attorney who knows the insurance company's processes inside and out and will fight for your total compensation. Call Stephanie Cover at Cover Law today at 877-214-4935. That's 877-214-4935. Or just go to kbrightradio.com slash cover today. 
Dr. George Barna is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. A brand new book is out, Raising Spiritual Champions, Nurturing Your Child's Heart, Mind, and Soul. Dun, da, da, da. Nothing but five-star ratings from Dr. George Barna. He's the director of research at Arizona Christian University's Cultural Research Center. Of course, you hear the name Barna and you just, I mean, there's a Barna group and then there's what George Barna is doing right now. That's how impressive this guy's work is. Did you try to retire, George? Is that what why Barna is run by different people now and you're still doing this stuff? I mean, we're never going to let you go. I mean, you well, do realize that, this. That's kind. I hope that's true. You know, the, the truth of the matter is 15 years ago, I sold the company because I got burned out. I've yeah. just been doing so much. I thought, oh, I'm tired of this. Who needs this? Mm -hmm. And, you know, it took some time off and I realized, oh, God made me to do this. What was I thinking? You right, know? right. So, you know, put my tail between my legs and started something new, you know, while the Barna Group goes on. But I've been doing a lot of other research. So I've, I've been blessed to have that opportunity. The new book, Raising Spiritual Champions, helps us as parents and grandparents understand how little Generation Z values life, and yet how much they are searching for meaning and depth and purpose and this, that, and the other thing. I saw an article about this new book in Christian in the Christian Post not too long ago, talking about the catastrophic de decline in biblical worldview, and you cited it as the number of what you call uncommitted Christians, you know, who are are leading the way here. That sounds like people who will talk the talk, but they won't really walk the walk. How bad is it in the culture, George Barna, in terms of people who would say, yeah, I believe in God, but they really have more of a synchristic type of view and their actual biblical worldview is really lacking? Well, uh, you know, if we were to look at the numbers, which I love to do, okay. you know, <laughs> what, what we know is that you've got like 68% of the country who claim to be Christian. And, and then when you dig a little deeper, you find that you've got roughly half that number who we might describe theologically as born-again Christians, meaning people who don't necessarily call themselves that, but they would say, when I die, I know I'm going to heaven because I've confessed my sins and accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. If we take that group of 34%, of adults in America, what we know is only one out of every six of them have a biblical worldview. Wow. Wow. And if we understand that having a biblical worldview, the mind of Christ, you know, really being committed to the things that Jesus taught is the very foundation. It's, it's the minimum requirement for being able to be a disciple of Jesus. We're talking about the people who are considered the backbone of the church, the born-again community, the ones who show up more often, they own more Bibles, they give more money, wonderful. But do they really believe that what the Bible teaches is truth? Do they really take it and convert it into a different lifestyle from the rest of the culture? No. And so we're really in a difficult position, even within our local churches, of thinking that that group who we believe to be the most committed and the ones who we establish as elders and the role models for the rest of us, most of them, truly, I would say, I, I, I'm not the judge, God is, but just looking at how God defines it in his scriptures, I would say most of the people that we classify as disciples he would not classify as disciples. Mm -hmm. That's going to be a, a heartbreaking day to find out how many people, you know, when the role is called up yonder, uh, actually have that spiritual basis. Uh, when I talked to Dr. George Barna, for those who watch us on myhopenow.com, 
Um, we do video as well as we do audio. And George has a couple different offices uh, between California and Arizona where he works. And in I think it's your main office, George. You have bases that hang up there because you're a. I, I want to make some silly pun like that's the basis for most of your research. But um, I, you and I both know I haven't hung mine yet. But we both have instruments that when people talk about, you know, we we go on and on about the the bass players that we that we love and have influenced us. But at the end of the day, if someone said, hey, I need someone to sit in, could we could take that thing down off the rack. We could plug it into an amplifier. We could sit in. What are the keys? What are the what are the changes? Whatever. And we could actually play that thing. And we understand some theory in this, that, and the other thing. I kind of get the sense that for a lot of people in the millennial world and maybe even Gen X that's passed on to Gen Z, faith for them has been that old family Bible or that instrument or whatever it is that sits nicely in the office. But if you ask them to take it down, they wouldn't know the first thing to do with it. Is that maybe a, a fair analogy as to kind of where we are with biblical worldview in terms of people who profess faith in Christ really have faith in Christ? Well, we know that a majority of the people who call themselves Christians also claim that they have a biblical worldview. And, and yet it's less than one out of 10 among that 68% who claim that they have a biblical worldview and claim that they're Christians. Uh, you know, so, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of misunderstanding, a lot of misinformation, if you will. I wish we would jail the people who are spreading misinformation about the gospel yeah. rather than some of the other things going on in our <laughs> yeah, culture. Right. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's very true. One of the things that we asked in the research for this book, Raising Spiritual Champions, was, well, you know, what, what do you think it means to be a disciple? And one of the common answers that we got was, well, you know, I, I grew up in a Christian home. Mm -hmm. Well, excuse yeah. me. I mean, becoming a disciple is not an inherited trait. Right. You know, it's something that you need to intentionally decide that you're going to commit your life and behavior to. And, and that's how we tell. It's not because, well, look at my parents. They were elders in the church. And, you know, we had four or five Bibles in the house and we attended church every week doesn't really matter that's not that's not the determining factors so yeah there's there's a long way that we have to go even to get back to ground zero to where people's minds can be uncluttered enough that we can once again help them understand but what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus the brand new book is called Raising Spiritual Champions by Dr. George Barna, Nurturing Your Child's Heart, Mind, and Soul. And there's a link for it up at thebottomlineshow.com. In our earlier conversation on this topic, we did talk about the importance of children and why to disciple children. You've identified four practices of a disciple. And the first and foremost, of course, is making that life-defining commitment to Jesus Christ. Someone who is going to be discipled and says, I am a disciple, has made that commitment. And a lot of kids will talk that commitment, but the next two principles are essential, I think, because they involve the living word of God as the establishing of truth and belief, and then how do you put that in action? Kind of help us unpack what uh, embracing biblical truth principles, why it goes hand in glove with making that life-defining commitment. Sure, you know, in studying parents and disciple makers at large who are effective at helping other people to become disciples, that first step, as you were talking about, that first practice is making that life commitment. And, you know, maybe the way to think about it is uh, disciples are made by disciples. If you're a disciple, you need to be a disciple maker. You know, it's not for you to hoard for yourself. It's for you to share with others just as it was shared with you. Jesus came for all of us and those who get it need to pass it on. 
you know, and so the second thing then is, but what are you going to pass on? And, and that's where the beliefs come into practice. You know, when Jesus talked about who is a disciple, uh, you know, in, in John 8, he talked about, well, it's people who obey my teachings consistently. Right. Right. And in John 15, it's, it's you know, where he said, and it's not just that they believe it for the sake of getting an A on the test. They're doing it because they convert it into action that helps other people to become disciples. They're producing fruit in the kingdom. Disciples is what producing fruit is. And so that that's a critical dimension. And, you know, when you think about, but then what do I share? And, and a lot of parents who, you know, I've given this lecture about all this to have come up and said, oh, my gosh, I think I've blown it. Where do I start? What do I do? Well, start with the seven, uh, you know, cornerstones of a biblical worldview. And in the book, I go into that much more deeply. And you and I have talked about that in the past, you know, as yes. we discovered that in our research. But it's these seven very core basic biblical beliefs that if you embrace all seven of those, you've got an 83% probability of actually mm -hmm. going on and developing a full biblical worldview. But if you don't embrace all seven of those, you've got only a 2% probability. Wow. So it's a great place to start, particularly with children, because they're fundamental biblical precepts. They're not hard to understand. They fit together into a viable framework. And when people buy into those, yeah, then they can really make progress on this journey to becoming more Christ-like. But you start with those beliefs. You want your kids to reflect lives that have made a life-defining commitment to Jesus Christ, that embrace biblical truth principles, that convert those beliefs then into action where you see the fruit. And then you've got the opportunity to measure and reinforce and replicate and rejoice what's happening here as you see the growth happening. That's solid biblical wisdom from Dr. George Barna for Raising Spiritual Champions, which is our theme today here on The Bottom Line Show. It's also the title of George's new book. We're going to take a quick break here. Check out the link at thebottomlineshow.com. On the other side of the break, now we get to, to the real nitty gritty, which is uh, we've got a lot of churches. They've got a lot of great programs. There's a weird culture that is fighting for the soul of your children. What can families and churches do in partnership to protect kids' hearts, minds, and souls and lead them into a thriving faith relationship? We'll talk about that with Dr. George Barna coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Dr. George Barna, my guest today here on The Bottom Line, Director of Research at Arizona Christian University's Cultural Research Center. He, If you're not subscribing to his American Worldview Inventory, you need to do so. It's free. We've got that link up at thebottomlineshow.com. Uh, there's been a lot of change in the culture just in the past three years since we've been having these conversations about that. And George's brand new book, Raising Spiritual Champions, Nurturing Your Child's Heart, Mind, and Soul, may be the most important book you read this fall. And I, that's why I highly commend it to you. As we talk about the practices of discipleship and why it's so important for us as parents and grandparents to really disciple our kids, not just take them to church, the local church has got to be scratching his head saying, why do we have 150 people in Bible study and three people in youth group? You know, I mean, what's going on with the kids? And you write about in this book, Raising Spiritual Champions, we've talked about it a little bit, but the, the idea that parents have to be more proactive in managing media exposure because the media is making kids do all sorts of weird things. It's an effort, but it's a necessity, isn't it? it? It really is. And there are things that parents can do. But, you know, when you talk about media, a lot of parents are scared to dip their toes into that water mm -hmm. because they're thinking, oh, man, my kid's going to fight me on this. Right. They're not going to like me on this. 
you know, and, and granted, I was born in New York. We have a different attitude toward everything. But, you know, my response to those parents is get over it. You're the adult right. in the room. <laughs> yeah. Do your job, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, your kid's going to be upset when you say yeah, you're, you can't spend that much time. You can't watch that particular program. You can't have all these different media devices going. You know, I mean, the, but that's what you as an adult have to do. You're going to have to monitor what they're watching. So, you know, you're going to have to minimize how much exposure they're getting to all of that. You're going to have to moralize it, which means not only do you know what they're being exposed to, but you got to talk to them about it so that they understand right from wrong. They're not going to get that from the media itself. What they're getting is defined as moral, correct behavior is absolutely anathema to what the scriptures teach. And you've got to be the one that fills that gap, that stands in that gap for God and says, no, 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 no. God sees it a different way. Here's how he sees it. Here's how I know it. Let's study the Bible together, not just read it. Let's study it together, tear it apart and apply it in our lives. And you know what? If you don't believe it's right, you watch my life. I'm telling you, you can't watch that stuff. I'm not watching it. I'm telling you, you can't listen to that stuff. I don't fill my ears with that garbage. We've got to do things right by God because that's who we are. We are disciples of Jesus. We're not going to settle for anything less. If you don't like it, tough tacos, but that's how we're going to live in this home. I love it when your New York side shows up. I mean, <laughs> we do have our differences about your Yankees versus my Angels, but nonetheless, I get it. Um, yeah, they're both losing teams this oh, year. Oh, this year it's not been as many differences. <clears throat> it, it's been brutal. Hey, George, we've we've got a few moments left, uh, uh, more than just a few, so I'll give you a chance to stretch out on this a little bit. But I know how important the local church is to you. I know how important it is to me. We're talking about families here, and we realize that it's mom and dad's ultimate responsibility to cast the die, if you will, for uh, the discipleship component for our kids. But many parents have just kind of co-opted that out to the church. You know, the church goes on mission trips. They go to rebuild an orphanage. They, you know, they got a rock wall and bowling nights and all that stuff. And so certainly that must be helping to raise spiritual champions. The local church, in some cases, though, you and I both know it's babysitting, right? You know, we need a place for the kids to go when the adults are in Bible study. How can a church be more intentional knowing that they don't want to try to compete with the culture and the media. You know, it used to be when we were, our kids were younger, you could have that pizza night after the football game and, you know, and and kids would show up. Now it's not happening anymore. Where is the local church and what can the local church do to be a part in this process? One of the seven original research projects we did for the book was looking at churches across the country that are effective in ministering to children one to understand what do they do, because I know what most of them do, but what are they doing? And there aren't that many churches that we found like that, but there's some things they have in common, the first of which is at those churches, it's not just that they have a children's ministry, it's that the entire church believes that the children's ministry is the single most important ministry in the church. They elevate the significance of that ministry, which means that then secondly, when they hire a pastor for that ministry, and they do, that pastor is in many ways considered to be the most important pastor in the entire congregation, you know, which is a blow to the ego of a senior pastor, but (laughs) get over it. You know, again, New York emerges and you got to (laughs) recognize why, because this is where spiritual formation happens. 
in the lives of kids, not with adults. All my research shows adults typically don't change at all. You know, we're just marking time with them. And most churches use children as bait just to get to those adults. They're the big fish yep. that the church is trying to hook. Well, not these churches. These churches said the big fish for us is kids because we love them. We need them. They need us if we're doing what God put us here to do. What is that? It's to teach them the scriptures. It's to model for them a different way of living. It's to have relationships with them where we're spending time with them. We're observing what's going on. We're having meaningful conversations with them, not just in the room Sunday from 11 to 12, but throughout the week. And then what we're doing also, that pastor is spending a lot of time preparing the parents because it's the parents' job to be doing this, not the churches. Right. And so they're doing everything they can to work in partnership with those parents. It's not about giving the kids just a fun, safe time. It's really about saying you are a spiritual being. You are going to be shaped spiritually. It needs to be done intentionally and strategically. We as the local church want to be part of that but it's got to be driven by your family, by your parents. So we're going to be there to support them. We're going to share curriculum and resources with them. It's a team effort. That's a whole different mindset. I was uh, one time in a pastoral counseling situation where a church had a, you know, the church congregation, but also a school. I had a, a woman who came to me. She had a couple of kids. And there was a, a discipline issue she wanted some help in, and she was going through a tough time with her marriage. And her youngest came along with her and started climbing the walls in my office, literally getting up on the chairs, climbing the wall. And I asked him a couple of times to stop. And, and uh, you know, he looked at me kind of oddly. And eventually he did. And finally, she looked at me and said, how'd you do that? I said, how'd I do what? And she said, how'd you get him to stop? He won't stop climbing. She said, he's all over the place. I said, well, I asked him. You know, and she looked at me and I thought, oh my goodness. And I realized that doesn't speak for a lot of parents, but I wonder how many parents are, you know, it, it's really very simple. I mean, it, it's just a question of saying, look, the, the, the principles here are eternal. And these are things that we can do. We can put into practice. But when, if you're doing stop, drop and roll with your kids at the local youth group at your church, you're missing the point because the church is making the kids a priority so that you can continue to make the spiritual growth of your kids a priority. Is that what the end game of Raising Spiritual Champions is all about, Dr. George Barna? Well, it, it is. And one of the things that I talk about in there is that you cannot raise a spiritual champion by accident. And it doesn't just happen spontaneously. You have to be in charge and you have to have a plan. Yep. And that plan has to incorporate God's principles and God's ways. And it's got to have measures that indicate whether or not you're actually moving your child toward becoming a disciple. You can't just assume because you have good intentions and you put some energy and resources into it, it'll happen. Right. You got to have a plan, work the plan, measure the plan, reevaluate, alter it as you need to, but never give up. You know, it, it, it's like one of the things that Winston Churchill said, you never, ever, ever, ever give up. And that's the mindset you have to have as a disciple maker. Well, get yourself a bulldog and uh, buckle up.
because it's going to be a tough ride, but it's going to be a good ride. And actually, we're having a good time, you know, with a few of the chuckles here. But this is this is vital. Uh, this necessity of not putting millstones around our kids' neck that the culture would do and making them look attractive, but rather to say, look, there is life-giving uh, hope in the biblical principles that God calls us to impart to our children and to our grandchildren. And we can be disciple makers with kids, but we have to be intentional about it. Use Dr. George Barna's book, Raising Spiritual Champions, Nurturing Your Child's Heart, Mind, and Soul as a blueprint for doing that. It's highly recommended, very well researched, and we've got a link for it up at thebottomlineshow.com. George, always a pleasure. Thank you for this book. Uh, it seems like one of the most important ones you've ever written. It is. You know, I mean, I'm getting to the end of my days. I don't know what the Lord will give me, but I want to go out having run the race well. And I think this may be the most important message that I'm putting out there. Yeah, well, we're, we are happy to spread that message on this platform. Thank you for the work that you continue to do. And thanks for being with us today here on The Bottom Line Show. Thank you, Roger. Really treasure these conversations and appreciate you, Dr. George Barna, for this brand new book. Again, it's called Raising Spiritual Champions, Nurturing Your Child's Heart, Mind, and Soul. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. By the way, if you're on KCBC and you're tuning in and hearing this live, this is a full hour interview with Dr. Barna. So make sure you go to thebottomlineshow.com at the end of the program or join us for Bottom Line Show Extra tonight at 7 or Bottom Line Rewind tomorrow at 1030 and you'll get a chance to hear the first half of this conversation as well. 800-227-5278. We've got two copies of Dr. Barna's book, Raising Spiritual Champions, we're giving away today. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. The number to get you through to the bottom line. On the other side of this break, I'm going to share a phrase with you, a principle with you, that will be helpful. I know it's been hugely helpful to me, as a parent and now as a grandparent in terms of looking at the culture and keeping our minds focused on, well, you know, keeping the main thing, the main thing for future generations. We're going to talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. Well, we have some good news from our friends at Preborn, and that is that we have a match in place that you got to take advantage of right now. I call it the 15 by the 15th campaign. Uh, an anonymous listener uh, who listens to the Bottom Line Show here in Southern California has put up a match for Preborn. Uh, he, this listener has donated $15,000, which is the cost of one uh, ultrasound machine in a preborn clinic and said, hey, I'll put this up as a match. Let's get other bottom line listeners involved to make donations, large or small. And once we get to another 15,000, then we can give the whole amount to preborn and get two uh, ultrasound machines in preborn clinics here in Southern California. So what do you say? We're a couple hundred dollars in on this match. I know there's a bottom line listener right now who can make a $500 or a $1,000 donation, maybe even a $2,500, knowing that it's A, tax deductible, and B, going to be matched dollar for dollar to get another ultrasound machine in that will save babies' lives. Call 833-850-BABY, 833-850-2229, or you can make a donation online. It's really easy. When you go to kbrightradio.com or you can go to my website rogermarsh.com and click on the preborn banner there let's save lives through preborn fifteen thousand dollars by the 15th of october we can do this 
My thanks again to Dr. George Barna. It's not every day that we get an hour with Dr. Barna, but we did today. I had to talk about his brand new book called Raising Spiritual Champions, Nurturing Your Child's Heart, Mind, and Soul. Link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And of course, the book was published by Arizona Christian University Press in partnership with Fed Books. And Dr. Barna is the director of research and co-founder of the Cultural Research Center at ACU. Uh, he is also a senior research fellow at the Family Research Council. Uh, this book, I mean, he's been thousands of hours of research to come up with how millennials and gen well specifically in this case gen z think and understanding that the values the morals and values that kids have by the time they're age 13 that's when their core beliefs are formed that's when basically the mold for that goes into the oven and it comes out as the pottery there's not going to be a whole lot of change after that now, you hear stories about people coming to faith in Christ in their 60s and their 70s, and those it's very heartwarming, but the values that we hold dear are usually formed by the time we're in middle school when we're a bunch of sarcastic eighth graders, right? Reading this book will help you. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Um, I want to share you, with you this one piece of advice that was shared to me about 20 years ago, maybe 25, almost 30. And as a young dad who was uh, raising three kids who have now gone on to, you know, have careers and lives, two of them are married and um, I, I could not ask for more in that regard. But this advice came to me and it's been so helpful because a lot of times in parenting, especially in the Gen X parenting world, the baby boom generation parenting world, we spent a lot of time trying to undo some of the damage that was done to us in the culture. Not, I mean, like my parents are still happily married after 68 years. I mean, they're, they're a wonderful couple. We had a very intact family. But there were some things, you know, there's some hurts and wounds and stuff that uh, I, I vowed, I'm, I'm, my kids aren't going to have to go through that like I was. But here's the phrase. Are you ready? If you repeat after me, okay, I was seven, I was 10, I was 13, I was 18 but I was never their age. I was never the age of my kids or grandkids. When I look at them and say, gosh, you're 18, you should be doing this by now. Or you're 21, you should be doing this by now. Or you're six, how come this isn't happening at three? How come this isn't happening in elementary school? The culture has a huge impact on that, number one, but also what Dr. George Barnes shared with us. The fact that kids' foundations, even the ones who are going to church, they're not being having the wisdom of Scripture, the full counsel of Scripture imparted to them. And things are so different now. I know what it was like to I have a six-year-old grandson. I was never his age. When I was six, the world was so different from when he is six and our three-year-old and our almost one-year-old and our 13-year-old, forget it. <laughs> we were never their age, but that doesn't mean we can't walk with them through the challenging teen and preteen years. That is good news, and that's the bottom line. For our KCBC audience, enjoy the rest of your day. Rabbi Schneider, Discovering the Jewish Jesus, coming up next. For those who remain on the network, a sad reminder of how difficult it is for kids to be kids and what we in the body of Christ can actually do about it. We'll talk about that coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show, or welcome to The Bottom Line Show if you're just joining us. If you're just tuning in, you really need to go back and check out the podcast, either the audio podcast at thebottomlineshow.com or the video podcast at myhopenow.com. Dr. George Barna and I spent a good hour 
talking about his new book, Raising Spiritual Champions, Nurturing Your Child's Heart, Mind, and Soul. Uh, it's a number one bestseller on Amazon already. And basically, this is something where you help kids and young people establish their God-given identity, not what the culture says they are, develop appropriate life priorities, not what the culture says they should do, grasp the source and significance of truth. It's found in God's word. It's not found on TikTok, unless people on TikTok are reading God's word. Embrace an eternal perspective. Kids are making these radical life decisions, altering their body, changing their whole DNA structure because they think, Right now is the most important thing, and I have to feel good right now. Properly define a life of success, and then find compelling meaning and purpose. Everybody wants to know the answer to the question, why am I here? And if you've ever wondered about kids and that whole purpose in life issue, I'm going to wrap up the program today with a couple of different examples. By the way, we're still giving away copies. We've got two copies of George Barna's book, Raising Spiritual Champions, to give away. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. We're going to conclude today's program here in this final half hour with a couple of examples about kids who don't really have the right perspective on how life is supposed to work. Uh, one of them, this, this is a, a, a young boy who is identifying as a girl right now. And he, this is in uh, West Virginia. And our friends at Alliance Defending Freedom have filed a motion with the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals that is trying to stop this from happening. Now, here's the deal. The, uh, the student is uh, one who... Uh, is called Becky Pepper Jackson. Um, that's the child's name. Um, I don't know how we got to Becky from whatever his name is, but uh, the, the, the child is identified in this motion as BPJ, but that's the, the given name of the child. In 2021, uh, West Virginia had a law that forbade, or it was forbidden, that biological males could compete against girls. Now, you'll notice whenever you see a story like this, it's always there's a boy who became a girl or wants to become a girl and compete against girls. Seldom, if ever, will you see a challenge where there's a girl who's trying to become a boy who wants to compete athletically. Now, there are lots of girls, and I again, this is anecdotal. I don't have this, the data in front of me, but there are a number of young girls who are feeling displaced, in the feminine world and they you know they hang around with other girls who are also confused and so they kind of split up and half of them become guys and the other half of them stay girls and i mean and you've seen that before you've seen that kind of uniform you know, the girl has a certain physical appearance and gets a guy's haircut wears guy's names and wants to be called a guy because it's easier to process life that way than it is the other way and it's very interesting um in the athletic world, though, there were, the only case I can remember of this transgender issue being an issue is in the case of there was a, 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 a young woman who was trying to transition to becoming a man. Uh, well, she was a teenager. And they had girls wrestling and boys wrestling where she competed. And she had already started taking testosterone. They were doing puberty blocking things to try to keep her from you know, becoming a woman. 
And this girl had a huge advantage over other girls. Interestingly enough, she went to court and petitioned to compete against the guys because she said, look, I have an unfair advantage if I'm competing against girls. And there's a picture, the court said, no, we have very strict rules, girls against girls, boys against boys. We are considering you a girl because you female genitalia, you were born a girl, that's your birth certificate says. We don't care if you've been pumping all this uh, testosterone into your system, you're gonna compete as a girl. And there's a picture, I, I remember seeing it years ago, it was, it was just, it was gripping. There is a, uh, literally and figuratively, the girl who is trying to identify as a guy is wrestling another girl. And she has her like in a headlock or a chokehold. And the girl that she's holding onto has this look of absolute terror in her eyes because there's so much force from this girl who's been taking testosterone and trying to transition to be male that she's got an advantage over this young woman. I, I, I share that with you as exhibit A. Now let's go back to West Virginia. Becky Pepper Johnson, we'll just refer to this child as BPJ because Becky is still a boy, uh, competes, uh, goes to Bridgeport Middle School in West Virginia. And as a member of the uh, Bridgeport Middle School track team, this boy has been running races against girls. Now, West Virginia law was very strict that biological males could not compete against biological females, et cetera, et cetera. But in 2021, an appellate court that granted the student's request to block West Virginia law is now uh, being faced with a motion from Alliance Defending Freedom that they need to put an injunction in place. Interestingly enough, when the court ruled in 2021 that BPJ could compete as a girl, even though he is a boy who takes estrogen, the court ruled, and I'm quoting the court verdict, that not one single person would be harmed by this injunction. Aren't courts interesting things? I and mean, if you're an attorney, if you're a judge, God bless you, because having to do that letter of the law thing would just really confuse the heck out of me. It would frustrate me too. The idea is this is a boy who wants to live as a girl, is taking estrogen, is undoubtedly dressing as a girl, going to a middle school, and has gone so far as to say, I want to compete on the girls' track team. Now, what's interesting about that is the motion here to keep him off of this track team doesn't even begin to mention the fact that, oh, by the way, prepubescent girls now have a boy coming into their locker room saying, I'm a girl, call me Becky, and I'm going to compete against you. And by the way, I'll get naked with you too. And you won't feel uncomfortable because I tell you I'm a girl, but I have male genitalia. Will you? Because if you do, there's something wrong with you. That's the left-leaning mentality. Of course, you and I know what is really real here. But in the injunction that was handed down in 2021, where the court ruled to suspend West Virginia law so this boy could compete as a girl, they used the phrase, not one single person would be harmed by the injunction. So the Alliance Defending Freedom did a little bit of homework. And basically, there are some new facts with regard to the law. In one spring season, just this past spring, 
BPJ, the boy who wants to identify as a girl called Becky, competed against girls. He beat over a hundred of them in different races. And some of them he raced against multiple times. He displaced more than 280 girls from rightful places that they would have as league champion, as going on to county and state meets. I mean, basically, they have lost out on conference championships because this guy came in first, and so the girl who was going to come in third in advance now comes in fourth. Um, Becky Pepper Johnson, the boy in question here, and I mentioned the track and field and running. I, I, I should have uh, specified. He competes as she in the shot put and the discus. According to Alliance Defending Freedom, this male student has become one of the top throwers in shot put and discus, makes him one of the few athletes able to advance to the conference championships. He now ranks in the top 10 at every track and field event he goes to. And yet he would like to be called she. Now, West Virginia legislature passed House Bill 3293, the Save Women's Sports Act, uh, in April of 2021. Judge Joseph Goodwin initially struck it down before he reversed his decision this past January. Then a three-judge panel of the Fourth Circuit Court reinstated the block against the act in February. The Supreme Court declined to review the case, but now um, it's interesting to see what will happen. Well, we'll keep all this in prayer, and of course our friends at Alliance Defending Freedom will prevail, I'm certain. I share this as an example of a confused kid who does not understand biblical wisdom, does not understand right and wrong, doesn't understand the difference between male and female, and yet the courts keep pushing this type of mentality on through. But there's an even more graphic example of what happens when this kind of uh, mindset runs amok. Um, On the other side of this break, I'm going to share this story. Uh, You may have heard about this because it involves a former police chief in the city of Bell, right here in the People's Republic of California, um, and a horrible accident, a hit and run, that led to his death that was because a couple of 17-year-olds went on a joy ride and thought it would be fun to hit somebody riding a bike while they were driving a car. We're going to talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com wilsonfinancial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. 
Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Super Tuesday. And when you go to vote uh, this year, make sure that you vote for the, the values voting candidates. Make sure you take into consideration the men and women who are running for office that hold to a biblical worldview and like laws that also hold to a biblical worldview as well. We talked about Alliance Defending Freedom and the case with the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals that had ruled to block a West Virginia law that would keep boys from competing against girls. And now they have a middle school student, a boy, who identifies as a girl and is just crushing it, as the kids would say, in the shot and discus in track and field. And uh, more than 100 girls have been beaten by this boy, defeated. And uh, he's knocked potentially 280 different times. There's been times where he's kept someone from advancing to a state meet or winning a medal. Top 10 in the shot put in discus. And it, it just it's really sad to see that these girls can't compete fairly because they've got this boy in here, you know, uh, spiking the punch. But this is the culture that kids are growing up in where it's just a joy ride and it's, you know, if I want to change my gender, I can. And, you know, as long as I get a lot of likes and clicks and shares on whatever social media channel I use, then I'm okay with that. And I want to share with you a story you may have heard about a man called Andreas Probst, who is a retired police chief, police chief from the city of Bell living in Las Vegas. Uh, video has surfaced of this cruel attack uh, involving two teenagers who were driving uh, along a road and they just, they were out joyriding. They accidentally hit someone and decided, well, let's go for more. And so they wound up going and hitting two other innocent people with their vehicle. Um, we will not be posting the video of the attack, obviously, at thebottomlineshow.com this time. You'll have to Google it to find it. Um, the kids actually, they're, they're not even trying to, to, in the video, you can tell they're not even trying not to hit this guy. According to Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department, the detectives have placed the passenger who filmed the hit and run under arrest. He's already been booked into the Clark County Juvenile Hall. And uh, now they have already uh, located the second uh, vi perpetrator. This is a 17-year-old who was driving the vehicle and was arrested and booked into Clark County Juvenile Hall. The guy who was riding shotgun, if you will, literally has his phone out and is re repositioning his hand. At one point, he actually gets video of himself in the rearview mirror holding up his phone going, all right, check this out. We're going to go after this guy. Here's the statement from Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department office um, when they learned that the, the, the hit and run was intentional. Uh, the video showed how the driver intentionally sideswiped a sedan as they traveled northbound on Tanaya. A few seconds later, the suspect saw Mr. Probst riding his bicycle. He's wearing a helmet, by the way. Uh, he's in a bike lane, and it's broad daylight. So, I mean, he, even though I think he had a red shirt on at the time, uh, there's no way you would miss him. The individuals did not come close and try to nick the back of his tire and keep going. They literally pulled into the bike lane behind him. They ran up behind him to try to knock him. And now it, the uh, police report says they ran him over as they fled the scene and they were laughing. Uh, what I saw, Lisa and I watched this video, it was horrifying to watch, was that they bumped his bike and he flipped up and then they kind of swerved around. Uh, the video has been circulating online. 
the passenger, the driver asked the passenger, are you ready? Because I'm going to commit this crime and you're going to film it, basically. Now, here's a guy, 64 years of age, wearing a helmet on a bike in a bike lane. I mean, it's not like he was too close to the stripe. You know, sometimes how bikers will do that. I've been on a bike before where I've done that. You know, you get a little love tap on the horn from the driver going by going, hey, you know, you're, you're too close to oncoming traffic and you're not driving 50 miles an hour on that bike. This guy is well within like the center of the lane. So they drive up behind him and the passenger is heard saying, yeah, I hit his blank before the car hit him. After he was hit, the video shows Prop's body slamming into the windshield and then tumbling to the side of the road. According to the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department statement, he suffered life-threatening injuries. He was transported to UMC trauma, where he was eventually declared deceased. Now, both of the teenagers are 17, from what I read in the report here, but according to uh, Clark County District Attorney Steve Wolfson, uh, they will likely be transferred into the adult system after they will be prosecution. The prosecution begins for them as uh, juveniles. Uh, he said, in the criminal system, if you're a minor and you're eligible to be charged for a crime of murder, you are automatically sent to the adult system. I'm confident that's what's going to happen in this case. Um, it's just, it's, it's amazing to see um, this video. It's just so cold and so calloused and calculated. It was one of three attacks that these young men committed. But I was thinking about Dr. George Barna's comments in, from what he wrote about in his book, Raising Spiritual Champions, Nurturing Your Child's Heart, Mind, and Soul. And I had to ask myself, what on earth could lead a couple of 17-year-old guys out for a joy ride on a, a sunny morning? They hit one person, they hit somebody else, they, they hit a third person, and the desire for fame I'm going to be on TikTok. I'm going to be on Instagram. I'm going to be on Facebook or wherever. Not my mugshot's going to be on the evening news. And the fact that they don't have any sense of shame, they don't have any sense of guilt, you know, it's us against him. Let's go hit the old guy on the bike. I mean, you have to wonder how many video games do you play to become that desensitized? Because if you've played video games at all or you're familiar with them, you know that this is the world that we are creating and this is the world where our young people are spending a lot of time. They're spending a lot of time playing these games. I mean, I, I'll, I'll say Grand Theft Auto. That's kind of the granddaddy of them. They're, I'm sure there are far worse. But understanding that the kids are looking for that kind of escape, and to them, values are different. I mean, when you think about it, there was a great discussion online the other day for uh, people who work in radio, and they were talking about the difference between radio and podcasts. And the radio people were rather smug, you know, in terms of, oh, yeah, you host a podcast. Well, you know, how many people listen to it? Well, I've got news for you. We have a very healthy audience here at the Bottom Line Show. I'm forever grateful for the number of people uh, that listen to this program. We estimate it that it's in the 375 to 400,000 range. Not that we get that many calls every day, but in terms of the different cities where we broadcast and the places that we hear from and different metrics that you can use, we know that that audience is pretty substantial. And I'm grateful for each and every person who tunes in, who listens, who calls Preborn, who calls Wilson Financial, Stephanie Cover. I mean, and uh, gosh, if I'm Stephanie Cover, can you imagine? 
the family of this retired cop having to deal with that wrongful death and oh man i hope they have stephanie's name and number of course the the incident took place almost two months ago so I, I, the statute of limitations for getting certain paperwork and probably isn't there but when you think about the number of people who are watching these podcasts or how many people who have uh, you know supporters of their tiktok channels it's in the millions it's in the hundreds of thousands people you've never heard of random folk I was watching a guy say, hey, here's a part of John 14 I never knew before. Youngish guy, mid-20s it looked like. And I'm watching his commentary and listening to him teach. And I thought, well, I'm glad you never thought about that before. And now you have. I had. I mean, I didn't really learn anything in it, but I like to support that type of stuff. He had 345,000 subscribers to his channel. So this guy who's on YouTube that I've never heard of before has an audience in less than a year that's about the same size as the bottom line. We're in our 13th year. There's a whole viral experience that younger people are a part of right now that if we don't pay attention to it, we're going to miss something that's far more important than catching criminals who do horrible things. But you got to ask the question, where are kids getting their morals and values from? I'll answer that question on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. Preborn is saving lives by doing what the left doesn't want you to know about. Progressives don't want you to know that a baby, once conceived in the womb, is a human being. And the proof that we have is four-dimensional ultrasound technology that you can get for free at Preborn. The reason Preborn can offer these ultrasound appointments is because people like you make donations and uh, they're tax deductible and they provide not only the necessary appointments for the expected moms but also making large donations that will provide ultrasound machines for each of these organizations as well 833-850-BABY is the number to call it's really easy to remember 833-850-BABY or if you want to do the numbers it's 833-850-2229 your 28 dollar donation right now will save one baby's life uh, $140 donation does five, 280 does 10. You can also give a recurring monthly gift like Lisa and I do, maybe $28 a month or $56 a month, $100 a month, whatever you and God decide. Make your best donation today and please know it's completely tax deductible and every dollar you donate to Preborn goes to the ultrasounds. 833-850-BABY, 833-850-2229 or go online to kbrightradio.com and click the Preborn banner today. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. This whole 90 minutes today, we've been talking about nurturing your child's heart, mind, and soul, raising spiritual champions, and helping kids who are looking to establish their God-given identity and appropriate develop appropriate life priorities uh, to grasp the source and significance of truth that's not in the world, embrace an eternal perspective. There is more to this life than what you're seeing and feeling and thinking right now. Um, properly define life success and find compelling meaning and purpose. And against the backdrop of these two teenagers, these two 17-year-old boys in Las Vegas, who went joyriding uh, one morning in mid-August, determined that they were going to get video that they could post on a social media page, uh, ostensibly, of them driving close enough to hit people who were either walking or riding bikes. And they wound up hitting square on uh, the former police chief of the city of Bell, Andreas Probst, and he wound up slamming, they knocked in the air, he landed on the windshield of their car, rolled off the side of the car, and they effectively ran over his body. He sustained life-threatening injuries, they took him to the hospital, he passed away. These kids went on and did another crime before eventually they stopped, and you know the, the legal 
system did its job. And now both are behind bars. Both are in a juvenile facility. Both these teenagers will be tried as adults. And it looks like they're going to go after murder charges, at least on uh, the one with the biker. You ask the question, how could this happen? Well, I'll tell you what. Here's how it can happen. Their God-given identity is not clear to them. So they're getting their identity from social media. Appropriate life priorities they're living for right now. They listen to gangster music with guys who are like, I don't know if I'll be dead tomorrow or, you know, or, or even just pop stars. It's like, get all the money you can now. And that's where their priorities are instead of from scripture. Grasping the source and significance of truth. When you have celebrities saying, you live your truth, you tell your truth. What they mean is experience, but kids are now thinking, oh my gosh, truth. Instead of absolute capital T biblical truth, it's what's true to me. Embrace an eternal perspective. These kids were so focused on how good is it going to look today on social media when I video me running over some guy on a bike. Instead of thinking, hey, we live forever. And it's your choice whether or not you want to live forever in heaven with the Lord or in hell with, without him. Life success, is it likes and clicks? Really, is it being a big hero at school? But it all stems from a lack of meaning and purpose that these kids have. And this is where we, if you've got kids or grandkids that are of this age, this is a topic of conversation you need to have. They can't be looking to the world. They can't be looking to TikTok. They can't be looking to Instagram stories or Facebook reels or whatever to give their life meaning. When you live in a, a time when a kid will spend an hour trying to get the ultimate looks like a spontaneous picture and finding their self-worth there our self-worth begins and ends at the foot of the cross where we realize left to our own devices in a sinful fallen world none of us has any worth or any value but god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him and places his faith and trust in him will not perish but will have everlasting life god did not send his son into the world to condemn the world not this time he will at some point, but not when he sent him 2,000 years ago, but, the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Lord, please open the eyes and ears and hearts of the young people of this nation and the world. They're not hearing your truth. They're not hearing the truth. And they're growing up with a goofy set of priorities that might feel good right now, but doesn't have any long-term value. Help us to see everyone that we encounter as a soul who will either spend eternity rejoicing with you or in agony apart from you, never-ending cycle of trying to pay off their debt to you. Thank you for giving us the gift of salvation through the gift of faith in your son, Jesus Christ. We ask all these things in the precious and powerful name of our Yeshua HaMashiach. Amen. That is good news. And that's the bottom line.